Hello and welcome back to Touching Base PR Edition. My name is Jamie and I am still your host. Today it's just me here doing the intro. I know that I've had some friends on the past few weeks so let me know if you guys like that but this episode is an interview with Carmela Glover who is part of so many amazing projects involving DE&I and that is honestly the bulk of this episode and what we talk about the most. We talk so much about the workplace and how communicators are the people who can make change happen. And we also talk about her unconventional college path. She was a chemical engineering major, so definitely so much to unpack in this episode. Before we hop into it, personal professional highlights for the week. Jumping into my professional, I know I said last week that my professional highlight was going to be starting work this week, and it is because I am happy, everyone. I went into the office on Tuesday for the first time, and I cleaned out my desk, and I set up my space, and I got some pink office supplies just because I'm a woman working in sports, and I want to make that abundantly clear that I may be in the minority, but I am forced to be reckoned with. Then on Wednesday, I was just in there doing some work, getting stuff done, and it just like, it feels good to be there and getting stuff done and being in a space I love. Definitely dealing with some imposter syndrome. I talk about that over in a YouTube video I made about the first day, so you can definitely go watch that. On a personal note, I cut my hair, and it is short, short, short. Like genuinely, it's basically bob, which honestly, I'm here for it. I'm very much here for it. You guys can head on over to my Instagram. I actually changed my Instagram username. It was the real Jamie G, and now it's Jamie in JPEGs, which I think is so cute and adorable. And that's also a personal highlight for the week. But all that being said, make sure you're following at touchingbase underscore PR on Instagram. We have some exciting things coming and the launch of our website soon. So be prepared for that. And I will talk to you guys over the mic in the next episode. But here's your interview with Carmela. <laughs> Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. I am Carmela Glover, and I am the president of the Diversity Action Alliance, as well as the director of DE&I at PEACH. So it's the Arthur W. PEACH Society. It's nice to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. To jump right into it, we're going to start with the hot seat segment. So my first question for you is, if you could choose an age to remain forever, what age would you pick? This is a good one. Honestly, uh, I think it is 35, which is an, um, an age I haven't gotten to yet. But I think that's next year for me. Um, and I think by the time I'm 35, I will, um, I'll really be in a place that I just kind of want to stay in. Um, I've, I've done a lot, but um, I wouldn't want to go back. To, to where I've been. I think they were great experiences, but 35 is it for me. Not there yet, but I, I'm manifesting that that's going to be a great year. I love that. I love when people say ages that they haven't gotten to yet because it really is manifesting for that future. I just turned 22. So about a month before I turned 22, I just kept saying like 22 is the year I want to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far it's been working out pretty well. So Awesome. Definitely that manifestation works. It does. <laughs> Off of that, my other question for you is, um, what would you do if you won the lottery? I like this question. It changes for me all the time. Um, but I think if I, well, for sure, if I won the lottery, I'd be giving a lot of it away. That is just who I am. <laughs> Even with, with a little bit of money that I have now, I, I, I give it away. I'm, I'm really into um, philanthropy and charitable causes. Um, particularly, I'd be giving it to um, inner city areas uh, near where I grew up. And um, I would definitely buy, uh, probably renovate my house or something. I don't know. But um, take care of, you know, I have a daughter, I have a toddler, so I'd make sure that I put some 
some funds away for her future. Um, but again, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really into philanthropy, philanthropy, particularly the communities of Newark, New Jersey, and Pleasantville, New Jersey. Um, those I would, you know, find some charitable causes around that. And of course, I would give to my favorite nonprofit, which is the Diversity Action Alliance. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, especially um, mentioning that you would give back to kind of like the communities you grew up in. I think it's so important to remember where we came from and remember our roots and remember to give back to them. Absolutely. So I was actually a military kid. So I moved to a ton of different cities in my childhood. But the ones I particularly remember, I didn't actually grow up in Pleasantville. I, I right outside of Pleasantville, New Jersey. Um, but my 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 community was in Pleasantville. That's where I went to church. That's where a ton of my friends were. Um, and it happens to be an inner city community. Um, and then Newark is where I went to college. And is I mean, folks know when they, they think of New Jersey, they think of Atlantic City or they think of Newark. Uh, maybe they think of Princeton, but uh, Newark and Atlantic City are 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 two cities that are um, really close to me. I think I would definitely find ways to to make sure I'm edifying the community. Mm -hmm. So as a military kid, I'm sure you grew up in a lot of different places. So what is kind of like your favorite place that you've been or lived? I have to say Hawaii. It was amazing. And it's a good, it's a cool story to tell too. We were there for two or three years and uh, the wildlife was amazing, except for the centipedes, which were scary. Um, but we had a mango tree and hibiscus, uh, you know, hibiscus growing in our backyard. Um, we were required to do swimming classes for school and um, we got to walk around barefoot in school. Uh, I lived in the Red Hill section of um, Honolulu. So that was really cool. That was probably the, the coolest place I lived. That's so funny that you mentioned you were required to do swimming for school. I was also required to do swimming for school when I was in middle school, but I live in New York and we had an indoor pool at our school and they decided that since um, we had such great outdoor facilities that we should obviously use the pool in the middle of winter. So... <laughs> they'd have us do our required swimming classes in December, January, February, when it was freezing outside. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. I don't look back <laughs> on that fondly. <laughs> my goodness. Jumping into the bulk of the questions now, can you start by telling me where you went to school and what you got your degree in? Sure. So um, my undergraduate degree was in chemical engineering. And um, as I mentioned, I went to school in Newark at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Uh, and then my graduate degree, I went to NYU uh, and got my master's um, in public relations and corporate communications there. So getting a degree in chemical engineering is definitely not an easy degree. It's a science degree. <laughs> right. So why did you choose to get that engineering degree? And going off of that, do you think there are skills from that degree that you use in PR? For sure. So I'll start by saying um, when I was in high school, we had a ton of people, especially in our junior and senior year, come and talk to us about um, going into the STEM field and it being, you know, really lucrative and a place where they needed, um, you know, young people of color. And then at home, um, funny story, I actually wanted to be a mechanic. I was really into cars. My first job was at a, an auto shop. And um, my dad was like, you can't be a mechanic, you have to go to college. So um, that's out the, out the question. And so you would have thought I would have become a mechanical engineer, but as I started looking into it, I, I wasn't as good at um, like physics and things like that, even though it's required for chemical engineering, it was more crucial for becoming a mechanical engineer. I was really good at chemistry. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna do chemical engineering. Um, and uh, when we reviewed all the engineering disciplines, 
chemical engineering was the one that made the most money. So I was like, yep, doing that. <laughs> and that's how, I, that's how I ended up in chemical engineering. Um, and then truthfully, one of my best friends at the time, his name was Andrew Tolentino, he was going to NJIT too. And I was like, I should go to school where, you know, I'm at least going to know one person. And um, uh, that could be a whole different conversation because once you get to college, it just opens up a new world of, of community and network. But um, so that's how I got into chemical engineering. And you know what I take most from chemical engineering into PR? And um, it, it's probably unsurprising, but especially when you get into executive communications, uh, there is a requirement for a level of um, perfection. And that requirement is in engineering as well. You know, you make one mistake uh, as a chemical engineer and you could, um, you could be bringing down an entire chemical factory. You could be creating a, um, a medicine or, um, a consumable product that is going to harm someone if you are not perfect. And that perfection requires groupthink, not groupthink uh, in the sense that you would say like, you know, everyone's thinking the same, but it requires um, a group of people to get together and talk about the best solution and, and almost, you know, have some heated conversations over what the best solution is. Uh, and what the outcome is, is uh, the best solution for uh, the product or for the client. Uh, and it has to be perfect. It has to be mm. executed perfectly. And in PR, you know, our words are, we have to use them very carefully. Um, so that, that level of perfection and polish has transferred over into what I do in PR. Um, even down to when I send an email, there cannot be a period out of place. There can't be a typo. Uh, and, you know, as communicators, we, we pride ourselves on how well we write, how well we communicate and, um, you know, our our technique it has to be you know really perfect it's 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 got a technicality to it so also loving numbers so <laughs> people think that in PR you don't have to love numbers but one of the critical aspects of public relations is understanding the business skills which requires you to understand numbers so mm -hmm. um that helps that's been helping me the most that's definitely something so interesting to think about I love hearing from people that did not get their degrees in PR because I feel like every major has so many transferable skills that you can bring into PR I know for me in college I was an English major so what I always say for that is that I learned how to best support my ideas because as an English major when you're writing essays it's pretty much just if you can support your ideas it's a correct answer which is very similar to the way we think in PR, you have to best support your client. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely love hearing that. And then from that engineering degree, I think that is an absolutely amazing major. And I think it's incredible that you were able to complete that degree. I started college as a STEM major and it did not work out for me. <laughs> so it was, I, I, I will admit, like, it's not an easy thing. And, and I, I shouldn't be embarrassed to share this. I will share it because it will encourage somebody. My first semester of going, first of all, I went to a school that, a uh, high school that I don't think prepared me for college. And if I could do it again, I'd probably enroll in the EOP program, the Equal Opportunity Program, because they had like a summer prep program for college. So I kind of got thrown into the fire. My first semester, I, I was ready to drop out of college. I had, I'd never received, you know, I was top 10 in my class graduating from high school and I got to NJIT and started studying chemical engineering. And I was in like the basics of science and math classes. And having come from like what I what was AP in high school, but when I got to college, I was like, I, I'm not ready for this. Um, and I got my first F in my first semester. So it's not easy. Um, it takes a lot of grit. And I guess that's that's another thing that you know I carried into the PR, um, into the into my my PR career is PR is hard. <laughs> PR is hard. It's it can be a little bit cutthroat. Um, 
especially, um, you know, when you get a bunch of communicators together and you're maybe you're you're doing a, um, a group piece and there's, you know, there's going to become a lot of critics, you know, and, and not, you know, not in a bad way, but just constructive feedback. Uh, but, you know, you you just in general in corporate America, it takes a lot of grit to to stay, um, especially as a person of color. So I, I I agree with you. I almost wasn't I almost I was ready to be to drop out and become do my do my mechanic job. <laughs> so I think we all have that moment where we're like, oh, my God, this is too hard. I want to drop out. Um, the transition to college is very difficult, especially if you didn't go from a high school that prepared you. I felt pretty prepared going into college from like high school but then I was like totally met with like culture shock because I feel like in high school I did not have to study I just like kind of got my work done and like I did well and then like I got to college and I took my first chemistry quiz and I was like oh my god (laughs) yep it's definitely culture shock and I would say it was the same for me again I was I graduated high school top 10 never really had to in my opinion, worked too hard. I mean, I was super active. I was in clubs. I was in, I was an athlete. So, and it wasn't much effort for me, which is why I say that I didn't feel prepared once I got to college. It was really, it was truly a shock from like a, you know, having to actually plan out studying. I mean, they, they had like a freshman orientation course, of course. Um, but it was just, it was, it was a new thing. And I, I will never underestimate that, especially when I, when I talk to high school students now, um, starting to get into practice now of, you know, it, there's no requirement to really study super hard. And again, I was in AP classes and I still didn't feel the need mm-hmm. to, to overly prepare, prepare. So I thought I was coming in like, oh, this is going to be easy. And it was, it was a rude awakening. I mean, I pulled it together, <laughs> pulled it together second semester, but it's, it's, it's a transition, but it's, it's, it's really a good preparation for going into the work world. Yeah, definitely. So now you got your graduate degree in PR in corporate communications, what are your thoughts on getting a master's degree? Because I've heard so many mixed opinions on whether it's worth it, whether it's not. So what do you think? Okay, so this is a great question. Um, And it kind of dovetails into what, so I did my master's thesis on um, the quality of graduate uh, master's PR programs. And I think it depends on two things. And I interviewed a ton of professionals about what their thoughts were. And half of them were like, well, experience is going to be, is going to like take you further. And some of them will, were like, well, if we see that you have a master's degree in PR, you know, that will, um, that will, you know, help to sway our decision. What I say is um, those who have a four-year degree in public relations and maybe a concentration in something else like you know, related, like psychology or even something unrelated psychology or anthropology or uh, journalism, behavioral science, anything. Um, I don't think you need a master's degree. If you've done four years of PR, I mean, a, a ton of my, um, classmates when I was a master's student they did public relations undergrad and so um the master's degree I think was was almost like a it was really easy for them um I think the master's degree is definitely important if you have a completely unrelated uh undergrad so again my undergraduate degree in chemical engineering I took a couple English courses maybe when I was a freshman maybe maybe one but writing is really critical. Writing and business skills are super critical to, to public relations. I got lucky because I had, you know, eight to 10 years of work experience. So I was, um, the business skills, I think I kind of honed in on in my, my corporate experience, but the fundamentals of PR and communications and kind of just understanding the field, I needed that. I needed to go back to school for that. Um, and now if I had an undergrad degree in public relations, I don't think I would have needed it. 
Mm -hmm. So I guess tell me about your path from graduating school to where you are now. Oh, okay. Good question. I, um, when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to get a master's degree eventually. And if I had gotten one right out of, of my, you know, out of college, I would have probably gotten a master's degree in chemical engineering or cosmetic science, which was, it's really close to like chemical engineering, cosmetic science, which is close to pharmaceutical science. They're all, they're all really related. And um, University of Cincinnati happened to have a really good cosmetic science master's program. So I accepted a job at a, at a company in their beauty sector. Again, I was interested in beauty. I don't think I mentioned that actually. I was interested in beauty. I wanted to work in cosmetics. I got a job with Procter & Gamble working with their luxury skincare, um, which was awesome. And it was in Cincinnati where they have, University of Cincinnati has one of the country's top cosmetic science master's programs. Well, I got, I fell in love with my job. And I was there for a couple of years um, and had just finished like a, almost like an 18 month stint at Johnson and Johnson working there. So I had a good background in beauty. Um, and uh, I started working closely as an engineer with the marketing team. They called themselves scientific communications at Procter and Gamble. They were a, a marketing team, but they, they did like the technical communications to dermatologists. And that was so cool. And I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> that is what I want to do. And I, I started to, um, I had a mentor who was in scientific communications uh, and she talked to me about the importance of um, effective communication and, and, and language. And that's where I really started to realize that maybe engineering is not all that I can do and all that I want to do. Um, fast forward, I took a job at L'Oreal um, back in New Jersey at home. And kind of continued on the same path. I still took a role as an engineer, but it was uh, more so on the management side so I could learn business. And it gave me an opportunity to work with the marketing and PR team. And so the project that um, took me into PR was I did uh, with, the, with the PR, I worked for the Kiehl's brand, which is a luxury skincare brand. And we did a project with Refinery29. And I was a part of the team that, you know, did the, um, the scripts and the B-roll and I just, I was in love and I got to explain like the, the technical engineering part of it, the manufacturing part of it, but I was enamored by um, the, the marketing and PR team and what they did and what they do on a daily basis. They did a ton of experiential um, programs where you got to walk through uh, entire buildings that were transformed into like skincare havens. And I realized that's what I wanted. There's so many different aspects of PR, but that's what drew me in. That and the and the communications part of it. Um, and you know, my um, my teams always told me that communications was my strong suit, even though I hadn't had any fundamental uh, education in that. So uh, again, I once I started to talk to PR people, there was a ton of jargon that came out. So I was like, let me go back to school <laughs> and and get some fundamental education around PR. And a master's program was perfect for that because it was a quick two years. Um, and, you know, my experience helped. And, um, and that's how I ended up in PR. I, I started going to events and, and met um, who would be my first boss in public relations. His name is Joe Cohen. And um, he worked for the PRSA Foundation. I already had an inherent interest in DE&I because uh, I was Black. I was a woman. Um, I was in leadership at my organization. Um, and, and surprisingly, L'Oreal was run by a lot of men, <laughs> even, though it's a, even though it's a beauty company. So, uh, you know, I inherently was drawn to DE&I and the importance of it and just advocating for those who are underrepresented. And, you know, that's not just from a, a race and ethnicity standpoint. Um, there's, there's a ton of um, aspects of diversity 
um, that are really important and underrepresented in the workplace. And so I was always kind of drawn to that. Um, but that was my first role, PRSA Foundation. Um, that's where I left L'Oreal to go. And it was focused on advancing diversity in the PR field. So that was, that's kind of a, a super fast forward through, yeah. <laughs> through my career. Like we all kind of have those moments where we know that PR is kind of what we're drawn to. And it, for so many of us, it comes at such different times. And I think for a lot of us, it's something we totally thought we were going to be doing something different with our lives. And then we end up finding PR and we're like, it just makes sense. And I know you said like, people always said, like when you were in your job, people said like, oh, you're a good communicator. You're good at X, Y, Z. And I think we all have these little like inherent traits within us. And then once we like let them out, they all come out full force. Yeah. Um, so um, tell me about your current job, what you are doing now and what you do on a daily basis. Sure. So at the Diversity Action Alliance, so that's, that's where I spend most of my time. You know, I, I, I'm both a director of DEI for Page and at the Diversity Action Alliance. I was at the Diversity Action Alliance first. It is a cross-industry coalition of organizations and leaders who've come together to accelerate progress for people of color um, in public relations and communication. I will say that uh, the focus on uh, race and ethnicity is our first focus, it's measurable. And so that's why we're focused there. But we, uh, our, our main goal is by 2025 for the public relations and communications industry to mirror the US population. Um, so we actually just, um, we're just getting ready to publish in a few days now, our first benchmark report. So we have, <clears throat> organizations who sign on to be a, like a member or part of the Diversity Action Alliance, we call them signatories because they are signing a commitment. And again, this is specifically tailored to the public relations industry. And um, that commitment requires them to provide their racial and ethnicity demographic data by career level to the DAA. And annually, um, we're doing a report that shows, you know, just the state of the industry uh, from a, a race and ethnicity standpoint. Um, and there's, there's a ton of reasons why we decided to do race and ethnicity first. Uh, it is something that is extremely measurable. Gender, gender, uh, gender is very measurable as well, but we, um, we've, we've, seen, we've seen more progress when it comes to gender parity and gender equity and equality <clears throat> than we have for uh, race and ethnicity. And it's, it's become really apparent in, in, um, in our first research study. Uh, it'll again, it'll come out on the 15th, but the results are not going to surprise anyone. We've been relying on kind of Bureau and Labor of Labor statistics results that say, at one point, I think they said the PR industry was like 89% white, um, but it, it was a little nuanced because it also said that it also lumped PR managers in with fundraising managers. And we know that PR and fundraising are two different things. So this is the first time that we, you know, we've collected this type of data, but on a day-to-day -day basis, um, you know, I touch base with our signatories. You know, we have all signatories across all sectors. We've got nonprofit, we've got government, we've got uh, corporate like in-house practices. So like a CCO and their team. Um, and we have PR agencies. So agency, C agency CEOs and their teams. Um, and I, on a daily basis, I'm, I'm talking to them about best practices, um, making sure that we are pulling together the best of resources that are applicable specifically to the communications field. 
uh, because a lot of the DE&I resources that are out and readily available apply to an entire enterprise, whereas, you know, as CCOs, we, we may be able to influence, what, you know, what the in enterprise is doing, but we can start right in our own field. Um, and the communications field, um, I think in 2016 was when that campaign came out, PR So White. And we are still battling. In fact, it's been decades um, that we've been battling in this field uh, that for more diversity. It's, it's critically important specifically for communicators. We're representing brands, we're representing clients, we're counseling clients, we're creating narratives and speeches for executives. So it's important that we can resonate with all of our stakeholders. And so what the DAA is doing is we are basically a force multiplier. There's a ton of good things happening. So we're sharing out those best practices that, that apply to our industry. And we're holding our industry leaders accountable um, for data transparency, for hiring people of color, for promoting them, and for you know, creating a culture that retains people of color. So that's on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying really tuned in to best practices and DE&I trends and, and just talking to different communications leaders about what they do um, what they need to be successful uh, and making sure that as an industry, we can meet that 2025 goal of having at least our PR and communications industry represent. And I think it's, I think it's doable based on the data I've seen, uh, which will come out on the 15th. I think it's really doable for our field to be the most diverse field and to really represent the U.S. population by 2025. For sure. And I definitely think that what you mentioned with resources going directly to the communications professionals because the communication professionals are the people that really have the ability to make changes and I think that so often when I hear like diversity and inclusion diversity equity and inclusion I think of it as companies doing that for their HR representatives and making it more of like an HR move but it has to be an all-around move and especially with communications communications and professionals are the people that have the power to promote that to the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are sending out those messages. And uh, not only that, but it is our super, I say this all the time, but it is our superpower as communicators to change hearts, minds, behaviors, attitudes. We do that through the power of words. Um, one of my mentors, um, who's actually a professor of mine at, um, at NYU, um, Eliu Garcia, he wrote a book called The Power of Communication, and it really digs into um, the true power of communication. It's truly a superpower. Like it's even subliminal communications. Like there are ways to reach target audiences. And I think the, the, the power in it for me is knowing that we're in a society that's super polarized and communicators have the ability to intercede. We can dispel misinformation. Uh, we can really explain the depth of things. You know, the other thing we do as, as counselors is we become more informed about a client's product or service or, or market than even they are. Um, and it allows us to really articulate the, some of the levels of importance of things. And DE&I is one of them. And beyond it being a good business move because it affects the you know, bottom line positively, beyond it being the right thing to do uh, it's morally right uh, at this point in time, especially given the the gener generation Z that's coming into the workforce with demands that you are you are you are matching their values. It's table stakes. There are clients who are saying, "Listen, we don't we don't want to hire agencies that are not serious about DEI. It is truly the cost of entry at this point. Um, it is not something that can just be relegated to the chief diversity officer to the chief HR officer. Um, it has to come from the top, and every single 
a member of the C-suite has to be bought in, but particularly the CEO needs to be able to articulate um, the importance. For sure, especially what you mentioned about Gen Z coming into the workforce. I'm, I think I'm a member of Gen Z. <laughs> yes. the, the whole timelines confuse me, but <laughs> just from my generation and especially in the past year and a half, I feel like we've looked so much for changes and we've looked so much to see what's going on. And I think it's so important for so many of us that companies that we're going to go work at align with our values. And especially it's important that we're seeing those values represented. It doesn't matter if they say it internally, they have to say it externally as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not only do they have to say it externally, but they have to show it. So actions speak louder than words. And, um, and more importantly than showing it externally, they need to get the buy-in of their, of their employees. Your employees are like, they're the ones who are, who are going to be upset if you say that you really care about it. And maybe you even donate to some community organizations that support a, uh, an underrepresented, underrepresented population. But yet you've got employees in your organization who are being passed up for promotions. They feel unseen or unheard. They feel there's a ton of bias affecting them. So it's important that not only you say it's important that you um, you make an effort to change your policies, to change your internal messaging, to make sure that you are taking into account the fact that um, you know we're we're a complex population now. There are five generations in the workplace. Obviously, we can't put every generation in a box. I would say that, and I'm a millennial. I would say that I equally care just as much about the values of my organization. I go and I look at what the C-suite looks like. I go and see if the organization has um, has released their their demographic data publicly, and um, and I reach out to my to my friends who have someone in, within a network and say, "Hey, what's it like working here?" Um, and that's something we we you know we all do um, to make sure that it's a place we want to work. Mm-hmm. So now switch gears a little bit and tell me more about your job with the Page Society. Sure. So at Page, um, I'm part-time there as the director of DE&I. And Page is a membership organization. So it's a membership organization for people who are leading global communications at their organizations. And as a membership association, we, uh, I'm on staff and staff, you know, we, all, uh, we serve the members. So in DE&I, we have uh, a a, an advisory board. They advise the, um, the page board on different DEI uh, trends and, and things that we should be doing to support, um, you know, societal issues and DEI in our workplace. Uh, we do a couple of programs that um, that I help to to lead and oversee. We have a program called Leaders of Tomorrow, which would be for um, young professionals, you know, somewhere between one and five or eight years of experience, and it's an opportunity for them to touch base with page members. Um, they'll hear from page members on, you know, what it was like for their journey. And, um, you know, specifically as someone from a diverse population and, and how they got to where they are. So page members, you know, they're, they are, they are, um, they are very accomplished people. You know, they are CCOs, they are agency CEOs, they are educators at top communications organizations, they're leading nonprofits and government organizations, and it's an international, it's an international organization. So, it's the, the Leaders of Tomorrow program is open to any student, any young professional who wants to join. And it gives them an opportunity not only to hear from them in a panel setting, but then they, we do breakouts. Um, and breakouts, I say now because we're in, in a virtual um, setting. But when we get back to in-person, it's an opportunity to talk to 
the leaders of communications, you know, across, I mean, in, you know, across the, the globe, really ask them questions directly, maybe find a mentor. It's a really great program. Um, and then we have a, a diverse, a program called Diverse Future, which is more so for mid to senior level executives who identify as people of color. Um, and that's diversefuture.org if we can find out more information about that. But that's, that's really to kind of prepare um, diverse executives for that top position, that agency CEO or um, chief communications officer role. So it's a, it's a pretty great program. It's, I think it's three or four years old. Uh, and then any, any thought leadership that's going to come out of page around DE&I, um, you know, we're, we're going to be on top of that. So, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, I work with the co-chairs of that committee and um, it's, it's really rewarding work. You know, it is the, it is the top leaders in, in our, in our country and beyond. So internationally um, who really care about DE&I making things happen. And so it's, it's an inspiring group to be a part of. Going off of that, going off of both of your jobs, what is your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of the job is knowing that um, because I'm interacting with people so much, it means they care. It means that this is important to them. It means that they want to make a difference. Um, and for those who are doing it for the wrong reasons, it's an opportunity for me to share with them, you know, to build a relationship with them and, and have that relationship um, be some of the impetus for wanting to for wanting a workplace to be an equitable place for everyone, right? You build relationships and then people say, oh, you know, I, I do really care about this, especially if, it's, if I know that um, meeting someone like you, it could affect, you know, it could, it could affect your demographic because, um, because we're not working on it. So um, being able to really have an impact, and sometimes it's one person at a time, even down to like our interns. When we hire our interns, we're preparing them for, um, for a role in, in the industry. And every single intern we've had has left and become a part of our industry and really contributed in a major way. So uh, my favorite part is the impact. Yeah, so speaking of interns, it is July, so it is prime summer intern season. Mm -hmm. So going off that, when you have interns on your team, what are you looking for from your interns? How can your interns best show you that they want to be successful in PR? Open-minded, right? And uh, willing to learn, willing to work hard. And, you know, that, those are, those are, are things that are, are easy to do, you know, be willing to work hard, um, be willing to build relationships, kind of having some courage, being able, willing to step outside of your comfort zone. Um, and uh, by the way, I should mention, we are looking for two new interns. So um, I can provide you that information to share with the link, but we're looking for interns for this summer. So um, you know, uh, we're, we are looking for folks who are really passionate about social justice and social impact, um, as well as, you know, ready to kind of hone in on their PR skills. They're, they're going to they're gonna be able to do a lot of work in DE&I and social impact, but they'll be able to write press releases, manage our, help manage our social media, you know, things that you want to get experience in doing. Um, you know, we don't get, a, I mean, at least in my program, I didn't get a ton of graphic design practice, but, you know, we use Photoshop, we use Canva. Um, and we like for folks to kind of have some, um, have some background in that, but if not, it's okay. We're going to cultivate that. Um, and again, our board, you know, if you can go on our website, our board and advisory council, some powerful people. We like to make sure that we pair our interns with at least one mentor who's leading or has led a major PR agency or corporation. Um, and so we're really looking for the cream of the crop. You've, you know, you've got to be able to write. Um, and of course, we're honing in on these skills. 
But, um, but you know, we, we love to have people reach out to us and say, you know, I'm really passionate about this. I want to get some experience in PR and I want to get some experience in, in diversity, equity and inclusion work. Um, and we go from there. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I can definitely include that information for people to apply for that internship. Um, so going off of that, when you are looking to bring interns onto your team, um, what is more important to you, someone being really passionate about PR or someone having like the skills to do PR? So because we have room for more than one intern, I like to, bring, and again, this goes back to diversity. I like to bring a mix of folks in. Um, ideally, you know, you'd be passionate about both PR and diversity, equity, inclusion. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I mean, at the end of the day, we use the ENI, the word DEI so much, but it's really, you know, having a good moral compass and, and you know, being, PR is all about relationships. And uh, I, I'll go back a little bit to um, knowing what I wanted to do in my career um, after being a chemical engineer for a while, but not knowing what to call it. I never heard of public relations. <laughs> you know, I, I, even when I was in college, I didn't know what mm-hmm. it was. I just knew that I like to build relationships and I like to build them through effective communication. And it took me a long time to find the definition of PR. Um, and actually was talking to our, our PR business partners at L'Oreal that helped me to understand that. But I, you know, I would definitely say that it's important for um, for someone at, at their very core to just be be good at and want to um, build relationships for the right reason. And you know, the, the, there's core skills that you're you're going to learn. I mean, there's things that you can learn on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going to expect you, especially as students, we're not going to expect you to come in knowing everything. That's the point of having this experience. Um, but you should, it, it should be something that you're passionate about. You know, you should want to do the right thing and it doesn't necessarily have to be around race and ethnicity. Um, so yeah, I mean, we do put that social justice and social impact. There are, are, are things that are important, um, but of course we, you know, we'd like for you to, if you're not in PR to be in a related field, you know, we'll, we'll take a journalism student, you know, mm-hmm. we'll take a behavioral science student. Um, most of our applicants are in PR, but we're not limited to that. Amazing. So I kind of have two more questions for you to wrap this all up. So my mm-hmm. first question is, what is something you wish you knew while you were in school, um, either with your undergraduate or your graduate degree, or just when you were just entering the industry, what is something you wish you knew that you wish now people would know? What is something I wish I knew? I think it's something that I knew, but something, it's something that I heard, but I felt was cliche. Um, but you know, now that I've, you know, I've, I've been in this world um, for a while, it's not cliche at all. And I, I, I guess it's advice I'd like to give to folks. Um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And sometimes I, you know, I really needed to build up the courage to just, you know, to just ask for something that I wanted, um, whether it be like a stretch product. I think it took me so long to get to PR because I was doing great work, um, you know, as an engineer. And I was afraid that if I asked, to do some stretch projects and PR that it would be looked at as I was not focused, you know, Mm -hmm. I was, you know, one foot out the door. Um, But everyone, um, and not everyone, but the people who needed to be uh, in my career were all very supportive. My professors, my family, um, my direct, you know, my uh, folks that I reported to, and even those people who reported to me, um, who I felt almost an obligation to, they were my team, they were my my people, I took care of them. And I was afraid, you know, if I, if I left, um, if I left the field or if I left the department that they would feel I, 
you know, I abandoned them, but people are generally supportive of you following your dreams. And that was, this was very purpose-driven for me. Um, I would have never in a million years thought that, that this is what I would end up doing. I, I thought I was going to be at a beauty organization for the rest of my life. It didn't matter which one. I just wanted to be in beauty. I was super into makeup and skincare and, um, and I was really limiting myself. So I would say you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Um, and don't be afraid to, to get outside your comfort zone and don't limit yourself. And for years, people told me, Carmel, if you want to stay in makeup and cosmetics and skincare, that's fine, but you would do amazing at so many other things. Um, and I'm glad that I took that jump because I, I really could have pictured myself as a lifer at L'Oreal or any other beauty company. Going off of that, I think of something, I currently work at a gym. So I listen to coaches in the gym all day long speak. And the one thing that I've picked up on in the past few weeks that I just keep saying now is if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. And I say that literally all the time now, but I think it goes off of so much of what you're saying mm -hmm. that you have to be scared to take those risks. You have to go for those opportunities. You have to try it because there's no way that you're going to move forward if you don't. Agreed. I like, I like that you, you're, you're pulling that from your gym experience because, you know, as a former athlete, I ran track. Um, I was, I love to do what I was good at. And I was a sprinter. I did the hundred, hundred meters and I was short. So hurdles were scary for me, but when I pushed myself out of my comfort zone to do hurdles, I found out I was really good at them. That's in high school In college, the hurdles got higher and I, it, it was over for me. <laughs> I'm five foot two. Um, but also pushing yourself to do what's uncomfortable. And so I was really comfortable running the hundred yards. Um, and there was a, you know, there's a different event, the 400, which is also a sprint, but it was long for me and I didn't like it, <laughs> and, um, but it made me a better runner. I became a stronger runner in my, in my event, which was the hundred, uh, the hundred meter, the hundred yard. Um, I became a stronger runner in my event because I pushed myself to do the one I didn't want to do. Um, I, I hated long distance and 400 meters felt like a long distance to me. It wasn't, it's not at all. It's still a sprint. Um, but yeah, I agree. Those things that push you outside of your comfort zone. And even now that I'm, I'm doing more strength training, um, and you'll appreciate this as someone who works at a gym, every time my, my coach comes to me and he's got a dumbbell that's 10 pounds heavier than the one I used last week. I like, I'm like, Oh my God, I don't want to be here, but I always feel great afterward. I'm, I can do it and I'm stronger. And I think that's an approach that you can take in every part of your life. I love that you, you put those two together. Yeah. Oh my God. Going off of your story. I was working out the other day and we were doing front raises with dumbbells and my coach came over to me and he gave me a resistance band to put on my wrist and I literally rolled my eyes so hard at him <laughs> this resistance band but two days later I'm still so sore from it so I know it's working yes yeah no I <laughs> the eye roll it was the eye roll for me because I that, that is definitely me and uh <laughs> with my coach I'm like oh my god you've got to be kidding me first of all you know I'm tired but yes that's funny <laughs> So now kind of to wrap everything up, if you could do your whole college career path over again, and I'm excited to ask you this question because I know you had a non-traditional path to get into PR. So if you could do all of that over again, is there anything that you would do differently? For the most part, no. I think everything uh, that happened needed to happen. I needed all those experiences. Um, every choice that I made, I think I would as it relates to, you know, like my academic career and, and, and there was a lot that I did with non-traditional and I love hearing 
different people's stories because um, your path is your path. No one, it's, you know, it's always funny to me when, when students or young professionals ask like, oh, how did you get to where you are? Because I want to be where you are. But everyone who is where I am had a different path there. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just have to follow your own um, instinct and intuition. And I did that. You know, I took a lot of risks when I, when I did, um, when I was uh, in undergrad, um, I wanted to pause going to school for a little bit and, and do like an, an, they called it a co-op, but it was basically like a six months to a year internship where I went, you know, I didn't do school at all. I just worked full time in the field. I wanted that experience. And at the time, my school didn't allow that. They said, well, you're dropping out of school and you're going to have to reapply and there's no guarantee that you're going to be accepted. And, you know, I stepped out on faith because I was getting a job in my field in chemical engineering and it was going to be you know, most people took a summer internship when they weren't taking classes. Um, And I can say that every decision I've ever made, even if it was, it felt like a really scary decision, you know, I stepped out on faith and it got me to where I am today. Mm. Um, And I've got plenty of other goals. You know, you continue to grow, you continue to, you know, your goals and um, your goals grow with you and change with you. And I wouldn't change anything, any choices that I made at all. Yeah. So Thank you so much for being here, sharing your story, sharing your path, sharing so much of your advice and everything that you've done. It was definitely so great having you on the show. And I'm sure this episode is going to help inspire so many others. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. This was awesome. We could probably talk for hours. (laughs) 